guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Melissa, how are you this week? Mandy, I am so good. How are you? I guess I am so good, too. (laughs) You started that off really enthusiastic, so I was just trying to meet you there. Yeah. Well, usually you're like, I'm great. How are you? And then, you know, so we're always It's all lies. (laughs) So this next week is Thanksgiving. This will come out the week of Thanksgiving. Yes. Are you pumped? I am super pumped about eating a lot of food and sleeping a lot. Yeah, that's literally all I care about um, this entire week. So yes, it's just naps and carbs. That's it. That's all I care yeah, about. Yeah, naps and carbs. <laughs> that works for me. Perfect. <laughs> so we are going to jump right into the case this week. As usual, um, we want to give a big thank you to our friend Trey for helping this week with research. She chose to do this case and sent us a whole bunch of research and we always appreciate that. So thank you so much, Trey. Yay, we thank hope, you. Yeah, we hope we do your case justice for you. So today we're going to be talking about the death of a young mother and wife in Durham, North Carolina, and Melissa has Googled this city. So Melissa, tell us a little bit about Durham, North Carolina. Okay, so Durham, North Carolina, as Mandy said, Durham is in North Carolina. There goes fact number one. No, I'm kidding. So the population of Durham is 267,743 people, mid-ish size town, mid, mid, mid people. I don't even know what size towns are anymore. (laughs) It's like if somebody tells me something's like half a mile away in my brain, that could be literally 500 miles away or five feet. I have no concept of where it is. Where is it in relation to a 7-Eleven? That's (laughs) what I need to know. A few facts about Durham. Duke University Hospital was built at the old Boneyard where Durham residents brought their old dead cows and horses. Basically, Duke University could be haunted by dead cows and horses, which Mandy would probably love. (laughs) I can see you (laughs) being at the hospital and squealing over seeing a cow ghost. It would just be the best day of your entire (laughs) Okay, that's actually very accurate. (laughs) I've seen you around alive animals. I can't imagine seeing you around ghost animals. Can I talk about the otters we saw running down the street the other day? (laughs) See, same same enthusiasm. Right back at it. (laughs) Who just sees an otter running down a sidewalk? That's not even a normal situation. And you didn't think it was that cool, but well, we live I in did, Florida, so. so it's just kind of like, oh, an otter. I'm just surprised he's not like slinging crystal meth on the side. That's, that's <laughs> the only shocking fact about that. <laughs> so, um, you guys might be familiar with the Rose Bowl. That's the national championship for football for college football in the states, and the only game that was not played in Pasadena, California, where the Rose Bowl normally takes place, uh, was held on January second, nineteen forty-two, and this was a matchup between. Duke in Oregon State, and it was actually planned, rather played in Durham at the Wallace Wade Stadium. And that was because just a few weeks earlier, um, the attack on Pearl Harbor had taken place in Hawaii. So they were worried they didn't know if any other attacks would happen, and they moved this, the entire bowl game to the West Coast, which, or I'm sorry, rather the East Coast, which I thought was kind of interesting. In 1951, Durham-born rhythm and blues singer Clyde McFadder was a member of the group The Dominoes when their number one R&B hit, 60-Minute Man, became the first ever song by an African-American group to make the pop charts. And in 1987, Clyde McFadder was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Durham is also home to one of the most notorious killers in recent history. This killer has never been caught because no one knows exactly who it could be. Do you know? <laughs> it's the murderous owl from Durham, North Carolina, in the staircase. It's Michael Peterson's fall guy. Well, there you go. <laughs> Darn it. I had to do that whole sad who joke, and I barely got a laugh. This is not good. I might edit that whole thing. I out. did laugh. I laughed. I laughed so hard internally. <laughs> I just up. wanted to keep it under wraps for, for this episode. <laughs> okay. So, well, there. this is where our levity is this week. Okay, Mandy. Back to the story. So the victim in our story this week is Janet Christensen Abaroa, and she grew up in Annandale, Virginia. Her family was part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she was the seventh of 10 siblings. Her parents actually had seven girls and three boys. She went to Southern Virginia University in Buena Vista, Virginia, and graduated with an AA degree in social sciences in 2000. 
She was a really good student, very smart, and not only was she very smart, she was also very athletic, and she excelled as a soccer star. She was just what her family considered a natural-born athlete, and she played as a midfielder on the university's first women's soccer team. She had a boyfriend when she was in college, but another man actually caught her eye, and his name was Raven Abaroa, and they soon began seeing each other, despite the fact that she was already dating somebody else at the time. Raven also grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he had four brothers and four sisters. He lived in San Diego for 13 years of his life before moving to Utah. He then attended Salt Lake City Community College from 1997 to 98 and majored in marketing, and then he moved on to Southern Virginia University from 1998 to 2000. So, of course, this is where he met Janet. He was also an avid soccer lover and a very good athlete. He um, spent a lot of time coaching and training women's soccer teams and participated in numerous soccer-related clubs and programs. So Janet and Raven were just drawn to each other. They were kind of infatuated with each other. Their siblings, um, that's one thing they said, was that they were just pretty much obsessed with each other. They thought each of, you know, each of them thought the other one was just really great. And this love of soccer really just fueled that and brought them together. And Janet thought that Raven was really just her type and that he had a perfect life going for him. The couple was soon married in an LDS temple in Washington, D.C. in August of 2000. They took their vows very seriously, just as they took their faith very seriously. And it was, you know, we've talked about this a lot in recent episodes where in that denomination, when you get married, it's called a sealing and you're sealed to each other for life when you get married. So It is a very serious thing if you think about it that way. And and for them, they do take it very seriously. They didn't have any immediate family living nearby after they were married. So the couple relied on their church as a means of connecting with people. They met at Tim Dowd and his wife there, and they became close friends. So Tim Dowd and his wife were actually a little bit older than Janet and Raven, and they kind of looked at them more as like parental figures. Janet obtained her AA degree in December of 2000, but then took some time off school to spend time with Raven. It looks like from the outside that they lived a very charmed life. They had this new marriage. They had a new house, several cars and motorcycles. And the couple eventually moved into Durham, North Carolina from Virginia. They both worked in a large sporting company there called Eurosport, which was a leading expert in soccer, rugby, and lacrosse retail. And it was really a perfect place for both of them to work considering their love of soccer. So we'll fast forward to early uh, 2004. At this point, there's rumors flying that Raven's been seeing other women, and Janet is obviously very heartbroken over hearing this news. Soon after she hears this bad news, she finds out that she's pregnant. And she feels more conflicted at this point than ever about what she should do because she doesn't want to raise her child alone. But obviously, if her husband's having affairs, that's going to make things a little bit difficult. So Janet called Tim Dowd and his wife back in Smithfield and asked if she could come visit them. She, at this point, really poured her heart out to them, told them everything that was going on. And she told them that she wanted Raven back, but not if he continued to have these affairs. And so she asked him if he would sit down and talk some sense into Raven. So Tim was obviously very disappointed in Raven, and in his words, he, quote, read him the riot act. He told him he needed to get it together because they have a baby on the way, and he needs to stop whatever he's doing and just man up and be there for his wife and his new baby. So Raven agrees to stop these affairs, and he and Janet get back together. The couple welcome a baby boy named Caden on October 17th, 2004, and the family's very happy. Raven seemed super happy in his new role as a father, and it kind of seemed like everything was coming together at this point. Um, Then in January 2005, which was just three months after the new baby was born, Raven was caught stealing from his job at Eurosport. He was actually stealing high-end sporting equipment and selling it on eBay and had been doing it for about six months. Why do people never think they're going to get caught? I I just... This is where I... Six months is a long time, I feel like, to even not get caught doing something like that. Yeah, like how many things can be stolen on your watch from the company you work with that nobody's going to figure out that you're doing it? I just... Man. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm too smart for crime. Maybe that's the whole reason I am not a criminal. I'm just so right. smart, man. That's exactly, that's exactly it. <laughs> Nothing to do with my fear of breaking any type of rule ever. So Raven uh, gets fired at this point, and Janet is too embarrassed to continue working there, so she quits, um, but she stands by her husband and was really convinced that they would get through this time together. 
So Raven eventually is charged with five counts of embezzlement, and he pled guilty at this point to avoid jail time. But of course, things are rocky at home. Now he has no job, she has no job, and he has a felony on it, or several felonies, I guess, on his record. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So the couple could not pay their rent. There's no income coming in. Um, But their landlord gave them two months to live there for free, which was super generous of them. But, you know, obviously the landlord knows they have this baby and- feel bad for Janet like she may be married to this but you know she hasn't made these mistakes that Raven's been making so at this point Raven gets a new job with a computer company on April 26 2005 it was a regular Tuesday for the couple Janet had dropped Caden off at daycare in the morning and then picked him up in the afternoon and she met with Raven and another fellow member of the LDS church before going home for the evening When they got home, she was just doing some chores around the house, working on laundry. Raven was working on other various projects around the house. And he had had these plans for that evening to go and play soccer. He left after Caden went to bed. And he said goodnight to Janet because she was also going to bed. So her typical routine for the night was to put the baby to bed, just kind of relax. And then she would go lay in their bed and watch TV while she fell asleep. So that's what – that's at the point that – Uh, Raven left to go play soccer was when Janet was getting into bed for the night to watch TV. Raven returned home from playing soccer and went upstairs to kiss his son goodnight. And then he discovered that something had gone terribly wrong in the time that he had spent out of the house. He discovered that his wife had been attacked and killed. Raven called 911 around 1045 p.m. and said that his wife was dead and had told the 911 operator that she had been shot. And when the operator was trying to get more information, he said um, something like right in the chest or something like that. So he was hysterical on the 911 call. And uh, of course, they sent police out right away. Crime scene investigators spent almost 24 hours processing the scene, collecting evidence and talking to the neighbors. Very early on in the in the investigation, the Durham Police Department announced that they did not think that the homicide was a random act. Um, they didn't really have a lot to go on, but they definitely thought that somebody that knew her was connected to this horrifying and gruesome murder. Police thought originally that they were responding to a shooting because that's what Raven had said in his 911 call, but they quickly realized that this was not a shooting at all, and they noticed pretty quickly that Janet had actually been stabbed multiple times. Her body was found in a kneeling position in the office um, upstairs of their home, and she had been stabbed in the chest with one of the stab wounds going from the base of her neck down through an artery and into a lung. And I read something that said, um, it was one of the medical examiner's reports that said that she actually would have bled out very quickly from this. It would have been a matter of minutes. They had like said the amount of blood that she lost. It was like two liters, and they say you only have about six liters of blood in your entire body. So you can just imagine what kind of a scene that was for them to be walking in on. So there was large amounts of blood found on the floor around her, um, on the wall in the room, and also near a side door of the home. Items taken from the home in the search warrant included a block of knives, scissors, a checkbook, and some loan papers, and a cell phone. Police also seized a knife with a case and a pawn shop ticket from the couple's vehicle. They also swabbed various surfaces around the house and took the clothes that Raven was wearing that night. An autopsy later revealed that Janet had been pregnant for the second time when she was murdered. At 5 a.m. on the morning after the murder, Raven called Janet's parents to let them know what had happened. He told them actually that Janet had committed suicide, which I feel like was kind of a little bit of a slip up for him to say that, considering he had called 911 and told the police that she was shot And then the police have realized, like, she wasn't even shot. She was actually stabbed. So I don't understand how immediately at 5 a.m. the next day he's calling her family and saying that she committed suicide. You wouldn't know anything like that at that point. Right. I almost wondered if it was more like he's just um, telling stories to them to just try to take them off the trail of her being harmed. Like, oh, no, she hurt herself. So, you know, 
this is a hard time for our family. I'm so sorry for your loss and kind of takes the whole suspicion off of him because it was her that did it. It wasn't, it couldn't possibly be him that did it because it doesn't make any sense that it's very obviously that somebody stabbed her multiple times. So Janet's family was instantly suspicious and extremely confused and they definitely did not believe that she would take her own life. They knew that she would never do that to her son. Um, He was only six months old at the time. They you know, they knew her and they didn't feel like that was something that, you know, she would have ever done to, to her baby. Um, so in the beginning, Raven was very cooperative with the police and he complied with doing all these interviews. But then just a couple of days later, he actually got a lawyer and left town, which that's never a good sign. You never leave town right after something like this happens to your spouse. Um, especially if you're not guilty because you're going to look guilty. Um, you know, you know what I mean? You yeah, don't just and you, and, if you really move. think your spouse has been murdered, you want to know what happened and you want to be there to like answer questions and you want to see where the investigation is going and stuff. Everybody grieves differently. I get that. They also have small kids. So you can see where you might not want to be in that situation, but it doesn't seem like the normal response would be to like leave in the middle of the night with your kid and say peace out, for, you know, yeah. North Carolina. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So he took the baby, Caden, and moved back to Salt Lake City, where his family was from. The investigation showed some strange things, like Janet's wedding rings had been left on the kitchen counter right by the door that was allegedly broken into that night. And the only things missing from the home were Raven's laptop and some of the knives from Raven's knife collection. So I don't think I mentioned this before, but he had a knife collection, uh, and it was missing from the home. You saw that crazy video of him like talking about his knife. That was one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, The couple had actually done a couple of videos and um, like they did Christmas cart. What do you like a video Christmas greeting that they sent to their families and everything. And um, he had talked about how Janet had gotten him this knife that he wanted. And he was a very um, avid knife collector. Apparently he collected like throwing knives and had pocket knives and all kinds of knives. He was he liked knives. So the former neighbor that we spoke about before, Tim Dowd, was very shocked by Raven's actions and his whole demeanor after Janet's death. And he was kind of thinking, you know, the same thing that you just said, that maybe he should stick around and do a little bit more to help police solve this case. He, of course, he didn't want to believe that Raven had anything to do with this because, as we said, they were very close friends of this family. And, you know, nobody wants to believe that somebody that they love or care about is capable of doing something like this. But he just kind of thought like that all the everything kind of pointed back to Raven, even though they didn't really have any solid proof of anything at this point. Um, So there's just theories swirling all around. And Janet's whole family, all of her sisters and brothers, everybody is really suspicious of Raven. So the family learned also during this time that when Janet had become pregnant with Caden, Raven um, evidently had taken out um, life insurance policies on the both of them. And at the time, that would have seemed like a normal thing to do. You know, you're having a child like this, you know, now this is the time when you start setting up your, uh, you know, you set up for the future and the what ifs and, you know, what's going to happen to our child if something happens to us. And so, you know, that seemed like a normal thing to do. But of course, now that Janet had been killed, The family thought that was a little bit strange. So we are going to talk about a lot more in this case. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. The only thing better than shopping is online shopping from the comfort of your home in your ugliest pajamas and with a bowl of ice cream on your nightstand. While you're doing your online shopping, make sure you check out our friends with Complete Ensemble. Complete Ensemble offers a carefully curated site, including items from Cut from the Cloth, which is a huge favorite of many of our listeners, Lucky Brand, Kristen Cavallari by Chinese Laundry, and many more. Something unique that I really love is that the owners try on every item in their shop. By doing this, they can let their customers best know how the fit runs in each item's description, like whether or not the item is true to size. I love knowing that I get a real person's description of each item and not just a designer's talking points. The Complete Ensemble also has items and name brands for whatever your budget. Most items range in price between $25 to $170. Complete Ensemble is an online shop only, and they pride themselves on their excellent customer service. Complete Ensemble was created by a mother-daughter team out of McKinney, Texas, allowing them to turn their love of fashion into a business they can share together. Check out Complete Ensemble at completeensemble.com. 
Listeners of Moms and Murder can receive 10% off with promo code MOMS. That's CompleteEnsemble.com and promo code MOMS for 10% off. Support for Moms and Murder comes from Audible, who proudly present Evil Has a Name, the untold story of the Golden State Killer investigation. Nameless, faceless, for more than 40 years, the depraved monster who preyed on Californians from 1975 to 1986 was known by many aliases. The East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Visalia Ransacker. Then, on April 24, 2018, authorities arrested 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo based on DNA evidence linked to the crimes. With a suspect now behind bars, could it be that evil finally had a name? Delivering all new details about the investigation and a stunning final act to the events of Michelle McNamara's haunting bestseller, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, forensic criminologist Paul Holes and retired FBI profiler Jim Clementi revealed the unbelievable true story behind the capture of the suspected Golden State Killer. When you're trying to catch a killer, the devil is the details. Evil has a name only on Audible. Listen now at audible.com slash evil moms or text evil moms to 500 500. That's audible.com slash evil moms or text evil moms to 500 500. We are back this week to talk to you some more about Poshmark. Have you guys joined Poshmark yet? We are gearing up towards the holidays and Poshmark is a great way to find some great deals on clothes, shoes, and accessories. You can even find things with the price tag still on to gift this holiday season. When you download the free Poshmark app, you immediately have access to millions of closets across America in women, men, and kids' styles. This week, I decided to be a more kind and loving mother and actually look for something for my kids. So I decided to look for some new shirts for my son. We love Cat and Jack brand shirts because they are tagless, so my son has no complaints when he wears them. I simply added my son's size to my profile, typed Cat and Jack in the search field, and voila. I immediately saw a shirt, brand new with tags, and decided to look around more in this person closet. While in this person's closet, I found two other shirts. I clicked the little add to bundle button, added these two shirts, and sent the shop owner an offer. Within two minutes, I received an email back saying my offer was accepted and my shirts are now on their way, brand new with tags to my house without me having to leave my blanket cocoon. So what are you waiting for? With brands like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and Coach, you can get high-end brands on a shoestring budget. With Poshmark, selling is easy for both the buyer and seller, and the shipping is always super fast. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. And now back to the episode. Just to kind of recap, Raven has moved back to Salt Lake City, Utah with his son and police are still investigating Janet's death. So in Salt Lake City, he gets a job working at a bicycle shop and he's eventually fired from there for, guess what? Stealing. No way. It's so Raven. He is Old Habit Side <laughs> Hard. <laughs> yeah. So two years after Janet's death, Raven, I guess, decides that he's ready to start dating again. He meets a woman named Vanessa Pond at his son Caden's daycare. And she has a daughter that actually goes there as well. So Vanessa had a reputation with her family of being very harsh with men, and she wasn't really interested in finding a man. Um, she had been a single mom for a while and was just fine and dandy with that. So Raven actually really, really tried to woo Vanessa, and she thought he was very genuine and eventually fell in love with him. As a single parent herself, she really respected him for what he was going through and you know, with raising his son um, on his own. And she learned that his first wife had died, and that actually made her feel even worse for Raven and Caden, and she really thought that she could give them all the love they were missing out on. All Raven really told Vanessa about Janet was that there was an intruder that came in the house and that she was killed. And that's obviously kind of strange because he has told Janet's family that, you know, he's that she died by suicide. And now he's telling Vanessa, you know, something obviously very different. So Vanessa was more curious about Janet's death and she started Googling, um, which in this day and age, if you're dating somebody, you Google them anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like right away, but that's what I feel. My aunt used to work at FDLE, and when I started dating my husband, she like ran his car tags and everything. I had like a whole report. It was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Does he know this? (laughs) Very illegal. Well, he would have if it wouldn't have checked out, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, she stays up till 4 a.m. reading blogs and watching Raven's interviews, reading articles, and just kind of losing it because she realizes that Raven may not be the person that he's claiming to be. And how weird to be watching those videos of him, you know, like this new person yeah. you're seeing and like, I don't know. It would be so creepy if you really don't feel like you're getting the whole story and he's playing it down. Yeah. Well, and Raven had actually sat for these like official, like professional interviews, not like just police interviews, but he had actually sat for like an interview for a TV show. Right. And uh, he was on there, of course, talking about how much he loved his wife and, um, you know, wouldn't ever do any, he didn't have anything to do with her death. And he even said in, in that uh, same one that I'm talking about, same interview I'm talking about. He had said that the night of her murder, before he went to his soccer game, he told this whole story about how they had actually had this like long embrace and they hugged each other. And he just told her like, you know, I really love you and all that. And so he was just, uh, you know, really selling it, selling his story right. on this interview. And um, Vanessa really wasn't buying it. Like, you know, like you said, she was watching these and she just wasn't convinced, which I think would be a very hard thing to come to the realization of when this is a man that you're dating and that you've had around your daughter and um, and he has a child of his own. And, and how scary is that if you ha have any, you know, second or any doubts about a situation like this would be really scary. And, I you know, you just wouldn't really know how to proceed, I feel no. like. No. And yeah, you've just got to be terrified. Like you're saying, it's you're not expecting any of that. So she decides to sit down and ask him everything, um, ask him everything that happened. And I guess while he tells her the story of what happened, it sort of eased her fears and she decided she believed him. And so she felt like, okay, you know, I guess I, I assume it was more like she felt like he was maybe getting a bad rap and now he's telling her this story and, you know, he's still got this poor young son and obviously she feels bad and he's been able to woo her at this point. So um, a few short weeks into the relationship, Raven asked Vanessa if they could move in together. Um, Vanessa said, you know, she was not interested in doing that until they were, you know, had a real commitment. At this point, Vanessa doesn't realize that Janet's entire family thinks that Raven is a cold-blooded killer. So she's just getting her information from him. He's already made her feel better. You know, now she can put the blogs away. Like she's talked to the source and she believes him. So at this point, it's now been three years since Janet's murder, and Raven is in the middle of this new relationship now with Vanessa. And Vanessa's dad is a former police officer, so he did not like Raven really from the get-go. I guess it's not that he didn't like him. It was just more that he had this hunch about him, and he had kind of like a father's intuition. And he kind of thought that whenever you looked at the whole picture, it didn't really look right, right. and that something looked a little fishy about it. So in order to kind of show her parents, you know, no, like this guy is really who he says he is. He's very honest. Um, she invites him to go over to her parents' house and they were going to just hash it all out and, you know, squash any fears that they would have about him. So the parents didn't like waste any time. They pretty much came out and point blank asked Raven if he had anything to do with Janet's death which I can't even imagine that being like a first conversation with the parents. Right. Um, That's you know? like a whole new but, um, third uh, third movie in the Meet the Parents series. <laughs> like, yeah, did yeah, you kill this person. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, but Raven didn't really just directly answer the question. He kind of gave this roundabout answer where he just kind of did the whole. I loved my wife very much, um, you know, and he was crying um, during this. The parents had said that he was very upset, but he never actually came out and said that he didn't kill Janet. All he did was give these, you know, sidestep answers like I just loved her so much and and then, you know, put on the waterworks, but never would answer it. So, of course, Vanessa's father, being a former police officer, you know, he knows how to spot these things. He knows how to spot people being deceptive or trying to be deceptive. Right. So they were still pretty uneasy about the whole situation. But a short time later, Raven asked Vanessa's father if he could marry her. And he agreed to it. Her father agreed to it. And the couple ended up having a backyard wedding at Vanessa's parents' house. So after their wedding, they went on a honeymoon in Vegas. And things got a little strange 
pretty much right away once they were married and they were on their honeymoon. Uh, so one night while they were laying in bed in probably a beautiful hotel, Raven started talking to Vanessa about how mad that he was and started talking about Janet and just saying all these things about how mad he was and um, just and she kind of got the impression, you know, like just mad that she was dead. And so but it was kind of it's, that's a it's, weird word to use. Yeah. And it's just weird. I don't know. On your honeymoon, I feel like it's a strange thing to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people process things different. So I'm sure there is part of being mad, but that is a very weird thing on your honeymoon to turn to your new wife and say, I'm very angry that my other wife died. I don't know. Yeah. It's bizarre. I don't know. Like you said, everybody handles things differently. But that wasn't even where the creepiness ended. Um, he actually then snuggled up closer to Vanessa and said, I promise I'll never hurt you. And so. Chills. Vanessa, yeah, definitely. I don't even know what to say here. Um, because <laughs> Let's just so- edit in noise. Just <laughs> complete silence for a few minutes. Everybody take a minute to yourself and we'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah. So um, Vanessa was rightfully scared. Uh, that scared her to hear him say that because, yeah, why would you say that? Why would you say you'll never hurt me? Like, because that just implies that you hurt her. And like, it just seems very strange. It's a very weird thing to say. So after Janet's sisters learned that Raven had gotten married and um, that he was just kind of going on with his life as normal while they're still suffering from all this grief and still trying to search for answers about what had happened to their sister, um, they knew they really needed to contact Vanessa And just kind of give her a little heads up and tell her the real story about Janet and the real story about how everyone felt about Raven back in North Carolina. Because, of course, Vanessa, like you said, has put this whole thing to rest. She's not even thinking about it anymore. And she deserves to know. That was um, Janet's family's opinion. Once she finds out, Vanessa is in complete denial and, of course, does not want to believe it's true. Now she is married to this man. That would be very shocking news to hear um, that, you know, the family of his of his wife saying that they really felt strongly that he was guilty of of her murder. I don't even know what you would do at that point. You know, now you're married to this person. So in the meantime, Raven continues to act very strange and eventually turned um, abusive towards Vanessa. He just started calling her terrible, terrible names, saying very mean things to her and eventually got physically aggressive. And anytime they would argue, he would kind of have some physical element to it. So he would also call Vanessa's family and friends and claim that she was depressed and bipolar and uh, even that she needed to be put into an institution. I just – what a nightmare for Vanessa. I can't even imagine living in that situation. and he's setting it up like as he's so concerned about her and did you guys know this was going on? She's very embarrassed and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, what is your motivation in doing all this? Because that's not true. Right. At this point, Vanessa's had enough, and she decides to begin making plans to divorce Raven. So she knew she had to be very careful because at this point, she's very scared of Raven and does not know what he's capable of. Well, she knows some things he could be capable of. So just a week before Thanksgiving, Vanessa came clean to her parents about how she was feeling towards her new husband and that she wanted out of the marriage. And at this point, they've only been married for four months. And about a month later on Christmas Eve, Raven and Vanessa were getting ready to go to her parents' house for dinner. Raven really kind of picked a fight with Vanessa and got in her face and kept shoving his finger into her chest. And eventually he like fled in a rage. Vanessa was concerned that Raven was telling all these people that she was suicidal because he was really trying to set up an alibi for when he would eventually kill her. So four years after Janet's death, a new detective gets the case. Um, It was like an unfinished business to this guy because he was actually one of the first people on the scene at the time of Janet's murder. And now he's in charge of the investigation, which I think makes a lot of sense. And that has to be, you know, like you have somebody that's invested into it. It's not just another case of this guy. He was there. He knows how horrific it was. So meanwhile, Raven's making these videos of himself, um, maybe to post online, and he recorded a video talking about how frustrated he was with the entire investigation process. He, at some point in one of these videos, wonders out loud how he's going to pay for his defense. And he makes a joke that if he wins $3 million, was the lottery going on? Was that why he said that? Like, 
It must have been. He must have been playing the lottery because that's a very specific yeah. number to throw right. out there. Um, but he makes this joke that if he wins $3 million, we're going to assume in the lottery um, that he would have to spend like $2 million fighting it. Boo-hoo. I really don't care. So he keeps changing details about his story. So we've already gone through the him saying that she killed herself and then, you know, that somebody broke in. In one account, he says the lights were off when he gets home that night. And then another one, he says they're on. One time the baby's crying, another time the baby's asleep. So police knew if Janet was killed by an intruder, they would have seen more signs of a struggle. But all the blood from Janet's death was confined to one really small place. So Raven had also backed up all the files onto disk on his laptop that was stolen just a few hours before, which, wow, what a flipping coincidence can you just imagine yeah. being that prepared for something yeah. that you didn't know was going to happen <laughs> in another one of these weird self-recorded videos raven shows off a knife that he claims was overlooked by police that he had found just rummaging around in some of his old stuff and he said he was going to be sending it in to detectives for them to look at as detectives look over the crime scene photos again one officer noticed a context lens case that was open which would indicate that at the time of Janet's murder, she was still wearing her contacts uh, when the picture was taken, you know, after her death. So Janet's family tells police at this point that she wore those like hard contact lenses um, that would be super painful to sleep in. And she always took them out at night before going to bed. So police believe that if they could prove she was wearing her contacts when she was killed, it would show that she had not, in fact, been on her way to bed when Raven left, as he had previously stated. So at this point, the police were desperate to find any evidence that they could to um, really bring a case against Raven. And they decided to have Janet's body exhumed so that they could search for the contacts. So they actually, the family signed off on that. They, you know, agreed to go through with this because, of course, they want answers too. They want to be able to have any kind of, you know, closure, really, that, that, Something bad happened to their sister, and they want to know who did it. They want to be able to prove. They already strongly believe that it was Raven, so they want any kind of proof of this. So the medical examiner does find the contact lenses in her eyes. I read something that said, you know, it's been at this point four or five years, and so they said contact lenses do disintegrate, but they were going to be willing to try to look for them anyway because you just never know. You know, they could still be there. You and I talked about this, though, because we felt like, because they did do an autopsy on her before, right? We talked about that. Right. And anybody, a medical examiner out there, is it common practice to check to see if somebody has contacts in their eye? Because you and I both kind of felt like that seems like... it was a funny thing to not come right. up It originally. seems like, okay, yeah. you check the body, you check eyes, contacts, yes, no, check. Like you go through all these things. That seems like a I mean, I guess one. if you think it's not relevant, I don't but know. If you're, but yeah. I guess... Everything is relevant when you're doing an autopsy. I, mean, I don't I know. Watch CSI. I really don't know. Actually, I don't watch CSI, but I watch those kind of shows. And um, I feel like that's just one of the, like you're going head to toe, you hit the eyes immediately. I could be way off yeah. on this. I normally am. Yeah, I don't know. So they found the contacts and um, that was what they were looking for. But of course, this is still a very circumstantial case, but they believe that they did have enough at this point to bring a case against Raven. So finally, eight years after Janet's death, the case goes to trial and many old girlfriends and even just flings of Raven's testified against him in court and talked about what kind of what a creeper he was. And Vanessa also testified against him. And she spoke about the verbal and physical abuse that she endured in their very short marriage. One of Janet's friends testified that Janet had told her she was scared of Raven about four months prior to her murder. And she said she thought he may have a bipolar disorder. So the prosecutors alleged that Janet had been in the kitchen making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they kind of concluded this because there was an open container of peanut butter on the kitchen counter. And there was just like the makings of a sandwich was up there. And um, they they were saying that Raven had been upstairs waiting on her with a knife and called her upstairs and then stabbed her when she came into the office. The defense, however, claimed that the crime scene was contaminated because the police did not wear any protective clothing while they were processing the scene. And there was also a bloody footprint found near Janet's body that they said it did not match any of Raven's shoes. They said that they actually tested all of his shoes and none of them had blood on them and they couldn't find a match to this shoe print, which 
he got rid of the laptop and the knives. Like, I don't know why they think he wouldn't get rid of the shoes. Right. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. So they also claimed that there was DNA found near the side door that didn't match Raven or Janet and that an unknown fingerprint was found inside the office closet. I'm sorry, but I feel like that is kind of a stretch. Well, One lone fingerprint found inside the closet? Exactly. That's what I always think, like, with some of these fingerprint things, like, okay, well, how long is the life of a fingerprint? I, I'm, like, actually asking that because I don't know because it'll be like we found an unknown fingerprint five feet from the body. Okay, but you're at a Chili's. There's a thousand unknown fingerprints. Right. <laughs> exactly. I always think that, too. I'm like, but what does that tell you? You know, that doesn't, I don't it's know. It's reasonable doubt. That's all they I need. Have questions. Yeah, I, that's true. That's true. So after 11 hours of deliberating, the jury in the case was actually deadlocked. Um, they continued to try and deliberate for three days before delivering the news to the judge that they could not come to an agreement. 11 of them thought that he was guilty and one juror did not. And they ended up de- being a hung jury and the judge declared a mistrial. So Raven got a new trial and he pled guilty due to a plea deal. I believe he actually took the Alfred plea, which we've talked about many times in our show. The family of Janet was not really happy, but they accepted this because they actually didn't want to risk him going to trial and being found not guilty in a second trial. So they were willing kind of to take whatever they could get in the case, even though, like I said, they weren't really happy with it. So the family stood in court and gave impact statements in hopes that they would persuade the judge to hand down a maximum sentence, which was only eight to 10 years in this case. And that was a pretty sweet deal for him, considering he would be out of prison by his 41st birthday. So Raven did not testify on his own behalf, and he actually got up there and said that he didn't get a fair trial the first time and didn't think he would the second time either, and it wasn't worth spending his life in prison for, quote, something he didn't do. So that is why he took the plea deal, but of course he insists that he is innocent and had nothing to do with Janet's murder. So he was actually granted time served and was released from prison on Christmas Day in 2017. So thank you again so much, Trey, for your help in this episode. You did a wonderful job and we really appreciate it. And we're going to do this very, very small thing the next few weeks. Um, We're just going to shout out a Posh Closet of the Week. Uh, One of our friends, Nikki Park, has a closet on Poshmark. If you're looking for boys, girls, and women's clothing, check out the closet Nikki underscore Park. That's Nikki spelled N-I-K-K-I underscore Park spelled like, you know how to spell Park, P-A-R-K. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. So before we get into our last thing before we go, we want to tell you guys again about a new podcast that we are loving called The Melanie Minot Show. Melanie talks all about what's trending in pop culture and in a young female's mind, but in a fun and informative way. It is infotainment. Melanie offers witty summaries of breaking and trending pop culture and celebrity news. On one of her episodes released just a few days ago, she discussed the news that the Spice Girls are really going on tour this time. And... There was a whole lot about everyone's favorite TV uncle, Uncle Jesse, and his new adorable baby. Um, Melanie and her bro host chat about everything every week from relationships to the more important things, like who got voted off The Bachelor this week. Melanie's background includes working as a Hollywood gossip reporter, which sounds right up my alley, so you never know what fun and often inspiring guests might pop in. To listen to what Melanie is up to this week or which celebrity is Melanie's next to pop in, check her out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's the Melanie Minot Show podcast, and you spell Minot, M-I-N-E-A-U. All right, and now we have a couple last things before we go. We have a Thanksgiving-themed one. Um, I know. Yay. We got several Thanksgiving ones, so we held off this week to this week. Um, this one comes from Bonnie W. in our Facebook group. Uh, Mandy, what is your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? 
What's your least favorite? And this is tough for me. Do you eat something called mince meat pie? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go, you go first. first. That's a mess. <laughs> okay, my favorite thing about Thanksgiving. Obviously, I love spending time with my family. <laughs> I uh, love watching you roll your eyes. That was awesome. <laughs> Um, but really I see my, my family, family all the time. So yes, I love hanging out with them on Thanksgiving too, of course. But, um, we actually don't do huge Thanksgivings anymore because my, um, really my grandmother is the only one who lives nearby that's from my family. My dad passed away several years ago and my mom and sister now both live in another state. So I don't even get to really see a lot of my family, but my husband's family does live around us. So we do get to see them on holidays and around Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving is usually pretty small. And I actually kind of like that. You know, that is something I do like about Thanksgiving, having a small get together and not having it be like this big ordeal and feeling like I have to entertain like 55 people. Like, I think it's great if you guys have big Thanksgivings, but I like my small ones, So I will keep it. So my least favorite thing about Thanksgiving is when my kids will not let me take a nap. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good one. <laughs> I might piggyback on that. But you don't get to I do know. that. I know. <laughs> when you have kids, they don't care that it's Thanksgiving and that you are supposed to take naps. They but they still think naps are terrible. Do they care about so. the time change? Is that something kids care about? Because, well, they care about it to the extent that they don't want to go to bed earlier or what they think is earlier. Exactly. <laughs> I love that whenever it's the time change and people talk about it, I'm like, literally changes nothing in my life. Makes it more complicated. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> So the mincemeat pie question, um, I'm Googling it. I if don't it's even what know I what think it is. is, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So I eat something called a meat pie, but I don't eat it at Thanksgiving. I only, <laughs> okay, Melissa's making the funniest face. Okay. So no, actually it is a tradition in my family that we have meat pie for breakfast on Christmas oh. morning. I don't eat. <laughs> you ruined Christmas in how many words? That was like five words. You just ruined Christmas. <laughs> It is actually so delicious. So um, one thing I love, though, about my family's meat pie recipe, which, by the way, Melissa, you know I can cook, and so can everyone in my family, and this is it's absolutely delicious. It's meat on Christmas so- <laughs> morning. It's like sugar and spice on Christmas morning. You don't throw slop Don't you at like people. sausage? Yeah, but on Christmas morning, we do like monkey bread, um, like stuff. Oh, sticky. no. But see, you know oh, I don't that's eat true. sweet things for well, breakfast. Well, that's probably because your Christmas got ruined as a kid. That's terrible. <laughs> No, so if I don't eat meat pie for Christmas morning, actually, I'll just eat scrambled eggs and like ham, which I think you ham. can probably get on board with because you love hot ham. I mean, well, you don't. I love, love sweet hot ham. ham. <laughs> okay, so but no, um, I do eat what I, if it's the same same thing. I think then yes, I do eat it, but not for Thanksgiving. What, I eat it. What do you at think Christmas. it is? You think it's a meat pie? It's I call it a meat pie. So in ours, we put it has ground pork and also ground. Stop making faces. <laughs> That's a meat pie? That just doesn't even sound good. That's like, what do we call no, this terrible meal? I admit it does not meal? sound good. Meat pie. I ad- <laughs> but no, that it has a crust. It's like a savory pie. It's like a, you know. <laughs> it's making me gag. I'm not kidding. Um, so a mince pie is not, I don't think it's the same. Wait, a mince pie and a mince meat pie must be different because it's a mince meat yeah, of course. This? I'm a Wikipedia. Duh, that's where I get all my information. It's filled with a mixture of dried fruits and spices called mincemeat. Mm, no, 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 no. That is not what I eat. You're eating like sausage with a shell? I don't understand what's happening over there. My gosh, you just ruined. Okay. I, would, oh, I can't. I love meat pie, but whatever you just described. Yours is way worse. Really I'm pro mincemeat pie. I am con whatever you're feeding your kids on Christmas. That's so sad. That sounds like a meal from the Great Depression. <laughs> it's actually so expensive to make. It's so much meat. <laughs> oh my goodness. I cannot recover from this. Okay. So I'm just going to Mandy's waving her hands at herself to breathe. Okay. My favorite thing about Thanksgiving is my family. Also, it's food. It's mostly food because I do see my family a lot. But no, I like I always like thinking of thinking of family on Christmas. But like this year is the first time I'm ever hosting it. I normally get away with like going to somebody else's house. And so this is the first year I'm doing it. But the nice thing about that is you can make whatever you want. So if you don't like somebody's stupid green bean casserole that 
somebody's definitely bringing, but I won't be eating. Um, you don't have to make it. And I can just be like, you know what's great? Watergate salad. You know what's great? Banana pudding. You know what's great? Jellied cranberry sauce. If you put a real cranberry. The only thing you just listed is like all desserts. <laughs> I told you I'm all about the carbs. You're doing like a keto Christmas. <laughs> Sounds horrific. Um, my least favorite thing is... I don't know. I love that it's a four-day holiday. So my husband's home like for four days. Even other holidays, you never get that. So that's great. Um, yeah, least favorite thing. I guess I would go not taking a nap. Like your kids don't care it's a holiday. They're still going to bug you and be lovely, but also bug you. So um, – and I already said I would eat minced meat pie. Will not eat meat pie. <laughs> 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 you cannot make me. Okay. And then – I'm so Sorry. Um, the other one, we have a question from um, Serena W. in our Facebook group. She had like a hundred good questions. So you're going to hear from her a lot over the next few weeks. So the one we decided to do this week is um, if there was a day held in your honor, what would people have to do for it? If we labeled tomorrow Mandy Day, what would you force people to do to celebrate? Adopt a chicken. <gasps> put a... S- <laughs> Put a sweater on a chicken, pet a chicken, cuddle a chicken, love a chicken. It's going to be all about chickens on my day. Animals, really. Actually, that's what that's what it is. You're going to adopt a pet on Mandy Day. That's fitting, right? Leave the country on Mandy Day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you were so specific with all the things you would do to a chicken. I don't even think half of those things are legal to do to a chicken, but... Okay. Um, Anything else you would do? Is there like a food or a beverage you would have in your honor? People would have to have in your honor? Um, Dr. Pepper and crab legs. (laughs) Surprised you wouldn't throw meat pie at someone. (laughs) You just put me on the spot. No, I just want people to adopt a pet on – you can do that in my honor any day though. So I just can't even (laughs) talk to you right now. This is too much for me. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for the reviews after that of all the giggles and how much people hate us after this. Okay. So on a day in my honor, okay, on a day in my honor, people would not be allowed to stand up. You would have to stay in your room, in your bed, and you'd watch Bravo all day long. You could maybe do 90 Day Fiance, but the only two channels that would be allowed are TLC and Bravo. Sounds like a Sounds nightmare. Like the best day ever. Postmates would deliver to everyone for free, and you could get whatever oh, yeah, food you want to, but it cannot be a meat pie, number one, <laughs> and it has to be, like, not diet-specific. So, I mean, in this world, you can eat whatever you want. Like, you don't have food allergies or anything. So you just eat, like, you carbo-load. You don't even have to pay anything. It's so wonderful. And then you just drink a lot of Diet Coke, and it, your kids aren't allowed to ask you questions that day. I mean, I think I made Sounds the best day ever. Wonderful. When is Melissa Day? <laughs> In my dreams, every day is Melissa Day. Um, there's no such thing, and nobody gets to do with this. So this was really a lot of buildup for a day that will never happen. But yeah, so anyway, okay, I feel like we drug that through the mud. Um, thank you guys for your questions. I feel like that was probably the weirdest last thing before we go <laughs> we've ever done. <laughs> I know. Imagine like I I, yeah, I don't want to imagine anything. I'm tired. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to this. Yes. And have a really wonderful Thanksgiving and we will see you guys next week. Eat a meat pie. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.